It's a book by Sayado Upandita and Kate Lila Wheeler that inspired the title of this talk, A State of Mind Called Beautiful. I'll talk about goodness of heart, about goodwill, about kindness. To begin with, I'd like to quote the Dalai Lama with his statement, My religion is kindness. It's the credo of this talk. We all know that goodness of heart, kindness, is a wonderful and desirable inequality or attitude. The state of heart and mind of kindness feels good for oneself, feels good for others, for those around us. People who are kind are appreciated, are respected, are loved. And we hear of people who live their entire life in the service of this powerful human capacity of heart, and we are deeply impressed by them. Martin Luther King, Mother Teresa, Mahatma Gandhi. I think, in fact, we're quite convinced that it would be best to abide in this mode of kindness. Why then do we find it often so difficult? Why do we sometimes, or even often, fail when it would be most needed? And we all know why. Because resistance, fear, annoyance, or even anger or hatred get in the way of our best intentions. This implies or this asks of us that we seriously look at and deal with these unwholesome, difficult opponents of anger or hatred. That this is possible in a successful manner, that this can successfully be done, the Buddha emphasized already two and a half thousand years ago in his famous statement, which could be boiled down to, yes, we can. He said, give up what is, what is unwholesome. You can give up the unwholesome. If it were not possible, I would not ask you to do it. We all know that goodness of heart, kindness, is a wonderful and desirable inequality or attitude. The state of heart and mind of kindness feels good for oneself, feels good for others, for those around us. People who are kind are appreciated, are respected, are loved. And we hear of people who live their entire life in the service of this powerful human capacity of heart, and we are deeply impressed by them. Martin Luther King, Mother Teresa, Mahatma Gandhi. 
I think, in fact, we're quite convinced that it would be best to abide in this mode of kindness. Why then do we find it often so difficult? Why do we sometimes, or even often, fail when it would be most needed? And we all know why. Because resistance, fear, annoyance, or even anger or hatred get in the way of our best intentions. This implies or this asks of us that we seriously look at and deal with these unwholesome, difficult opponents of anger or hatred. That this is possible in a successful manner, that this can successfully be done, the Buddha emphasized already two and a half thousand years ago in his famous statement, which could be boiled down to, yes, we can. He said, give up what is, wholesome, what is unwholesome. You can give up the unwholesome. If it were not possible, I would not ask you to do it. To eventually be able to give up or deal skillfully with, at least, aversion, anger, hatred, we need to study and investigate them. We need to get to know them intimately when they are present. I feel that it's, in a way, the opposite of what we would like to do and what we often do, get rid of it. We don't like these intensive feelings of frustration, of hurt, of disappointment, or whatever it may be that triggers aversion or anger. We just can't stand it. It's unpleasant, it's painful, undesirable unwanted, and therefore away with it. So we express the anger in words or deeds. Or if we try to be good boys, good girls, and we only think it in our thoughts, trying not to express it outwardly, that's a little better, but not much better really. Or we know that expressing anger and aversion isn't helpful for ourselves and usually also has counterproductive effects with others. If we tell someone that we think that they're an idiot, it's rare that they tell us, oh, me an idiot, oh, I see, yes, I didn't realize. Thanks for making me aware of it. It's rare. So we suppress the whole thing. We swallow the anger, we clench our teeth, maybe we try to smile, until we blow up one day. So it's not very helpful either. To study and investigate anger, aversion, demands our willingness to mindfully bear it, feel it, allow for it when it's present. And it's not as difficult as one might think. But totally unfamiliar, unusual, 
and somewhat unpleasant. But as soon as we are able to do this, in a way we are already free. It's not that it goes away, but we're okay with it. And then it stops being a problem. The experience may still be unpleasant for a while, but then it all passes all by itself. This sounds like little, but it's a lot. So we need to learn to allow the anger to be there, to be here, to bear it, and then to look at it, then feel it. I think it's easier to practice or to exercise this with small incidents. Yet exactly with these minor events, we often find it unnecessary. It's no big deal, so we don't think it's necessary to look. And yet, smaller things, you know, the bus or the tram takes off right in front of us. And he saw me, you know, just when I I was about to push the green button, the door opener, he switched it off. Or he didn't clean his dirty dishes again. Or a pretty glass shatters. But the car doesn't stop at the pedestrian crosswalk. He saw me. Why did he not stop? A cloud covers the sun. Or the internet is jammed and it's way too slow. Stau. Or here, maybe in the food line. You know, this guy surfs himself in absurd slow motion. And now he also takes my seat. I mean, he should know by now. That's where I always sit. Or she showers for hours endlessly. You know, she knows there's only three showers on this wing. She knows there's so many people waiting. Maybe that's not really small things. That's all already very big things. But that's where I can watch. So in a way, there's so much to see, to study, and learn here. And more than anything, whenever we're willing to just be with these unwholesome feelings, we already have the right attitude. We already have the right inner attitude. And that's most essential here in this practice. It's an attitude of mindful interest, of welcoming openness, or half-welcoming, half-openness. But it already contains metta. This mindful interest, this willingness to be with it, feel it, open to it, study it. It's already a central aspect of the kindness of heart. Thich suggests to embrace our anger. And I think if you're serious about it and don't embrace it in order to suffocate it, then that points in the same direction. When Prince Siddhartha, the future Buddha, sat under the tree in Uruvela, Bokaya, he was attacked by the host of Mara, the harmful passions, such as aversion, anger, hatred, 
and many others. It's said that it transformed all the arrows and spears and other weapons of Mara into flowers by the power of his kindness, of his goodness of heart. Of course, it is not sentimental love or sentimental metta, but the power of mindful awareness, of patient acceptance, of interested investigation and of compassionate equanimity. And each time we are able to generate this kind of attitude, even for a moment, the kindness of heart gets strengthened. In the Dhammapada, we find the Buddha's famous statement, Hatred is never overcome by hatred. Only by kindness is hatred healed. This is the law, ancient and inexhaustible. That's also what gave Martin Luther King his extraordinary power. We shall never be carried away to act out of hatred, he said. And he was able to stick to it even when they burned down the churches. And he still was able to remain clear when the people of his personal surrounding got killed or murdered. We can, pra we can practice exactly this in the small in incidents to begin with. One Prerequisite for this is forgiveness. And here too, in big things, as much as in small ones. Mahakosananda, Cambodian monk and peace activist, he was at some point living with tens of thousands of refugees on the Cambodian border in Thailand. They had escaped from the terror of the Khmer Rouge. His uh, life was in danger there. So someone gave him a ticket to fly to the West. He took it and traveled to Bangkok and sold it in Bangkok. With the money, he printed thousands of brochures with the Metta Sutta, with the Buddha's discourse on kindness. Then he traveled back to the camps and distributed those brochures and began to teach forgiveness and metta. Said that for days and weeks and months, all these people recited that famous verse of the Buddha I read before. Hatred is never overcome by hatred. Only by kindness is hatred healed. This is the law, ancient and inexhaustible. All these people had experienced unthinkable horrors and two million deaths, actually, murders. And the goodness of heart was and is the only power in the world to be able to heal such 
unimaginable wounds. Formally, it's three aspects of forgiveness that we practice. It's to ask forgiveness from others, to forgive oneself, and to forgive others. To ask others for forgiveness. Whoever I have hurt, disappointed, deceived or abandoned, intentionally or unintentionally, I ask for forgiveness. And in practicing this, it's important that we go through individual people we may have hurt, individual situations that may have occurred. And if possible and realistic, perhaps even to actually ask them in person. To forgive oneself. Just as I have hurt others, so too I have hurt, disappointed, deceived, and abandoned myself, intentionally or unintentionally. I forgive myself. And this, of course, again, particularly applies to specific deeds, things we did, actions, or attitudes. And to forgive others. I myself have been hurt, disappointed, deceived, or abandoned by others in many ways, intentionally or unintentionally. I offer forgiveness. I forgive. And here too, the more specific and immediate it's related to a certain person or a certain event, the more effective it can be. It doesn't mean that we can always forgive right away. It may take months or years if it's a deep wound or a cruel injury. It's another part of practice, we could say, another part of the practice of the goodness of heart. Ask forgiveness from others, forgive oneself, and forgive others. The point here really is to end one's suffering and to liberate oneself from the prison of aversion, of anger and hatred, and of the attachment to old hurts. Two former prisoners of war meet again after many years. They exchange old, also painful, memories of those days. Then one asks, after all these years, did you ever forgive your enemy or torturers? Never would I do this, answered the other. Upon the first one remarked, so they still got you imprisoned, right? Forgiveness is an essential part of kindness and goodness of heart. This poem by Billy Collins, which many of you have heard before, it's perhaps somewhat more refreshing way showing how we can deal with annoying difficult situations in a forgiving and kind manner. 
It's called another reason why I don't keep a gun in the house. The neighbor's dog will not stop barking. He's barking the same high rhythmic bark that he barks every time they leave the house. They must switch him on on their way out. The neighbor's dog will not stop barking. I close all the windows in the house and put on a Beethoven symphony full blast. But I can still hear him muffled under the music, barking, barking, barking. Now I can see him sitting in the orchestra, his head raised confidently as if Beethoven had included the part for barking dog. When the record finally ends, he's still, he's still barking. Sitting there in the oboe section, barking, his eyes fixed on the conductor who is entreating him with his baton, while the other musicians listen in respectful silence to the famous barking dog solo. That endless coda that first established Beethoven as an innovative genius. No matter whether it's helpful or not, forgiveness cannot be forced. It's often a continuous process of acceptance of difficult feelings and of letting go of narrow, aversive inner patterns. Someone coined this curious but really accurate phrase. Forgiveness means giving up all hope for a better past. I really love this. Forgiveness means giving up all hope for a better past. If a court an Auschwitz survivor wrote, I deeply believe that all human beings have the right to live without the pain of the past. Most people have a big problem with forgiveness because society expects revenge. It is important to honor the victims. But I often ask myself whether my dead relatives really want me to live with pain and anger up until the end of my life. I do it for myself. Forgiveness is nothing else but an act of self-healing and of self-empowerment. I call it a miracle medicine. It doesn't cost anything. It works and it has no side effects. So to allow aversion and anger to be mindfully felt without getting lost in it, to investigate them carefully, and the cultivation of forgiveness. Maybe that doesn't seem to have much to do with metta, with the goodness of heart, the way we imagine it. But it's deceptive. It's perhaps because we sometimes believe that metta, loving kindness, has to do with nice and pleasant feelings which we strew around or radiate about. And that, of course, can be the case at times, fortunately. But mostly goodness of heart is the capacity of our heart, mind, 
to stay present, to stay in contact and welcoming in every situation with each and every person as good as we can. And that's often quite difficult and demanding and certainly not always pleasant. And yet it's exactly here that the great power of the goodness of heart lies. Martin Luther King said, Never succumb to the temptation of becoming bitter. As you press for justice, be sure to move with dignity and discipline using only the instruments of love. And he very convincingly showed us how to do it. Very inspiring and convincing is also what Ismail Khatib did. This is from newspaper from the Pakistan Tiger. In November 2005, an Israeli marksman and Scharfschütze soldier shot and killed Ismail Khatib's 12-year-old son, Ahmed, in the Palestinian refugee camp of Jenin on the West Bank. Ahmed had carried a toy gun, which the Israeli soldier mistook for a real one. Ahmed's father, Ismail, had fought against the Israeli occupation from the age of 16. He had also been captured and imprisoned. In those days, it was obvious to him that one had to kill and to revenge. Though it was important to him to state that he had never had actually killed anyone. Meanwhile, as a 43-year-old, he had become a thoughtful and wise man who had seen too much in life as to be easily shaken by things anymore. After the murder of his son, Ahmed, he decided to donate the organs of his, kids, of his kid to Israelis. Through this act, six children's, six children's life was saved. It's the love for the children, he replied to the question of what had moved him to this extraordinary act. They need help, no matter which passport they carry or what religion they belong to. An important exercise is, of course, the immediate the formal practice and application of loving-kindness or of Lajong from the Tibetan tradition or Bodhicitta. Most of you are quite familiar with this. The contemplations, the reflections and the phrases which can be a support not only in meditation but also in daily life after a retreat. Just the phrases. May I be happy and peaceful. May you be happy and peaceful. Sometimes it's like a key that unlocks the door to that space which we already know within ourselves, but we can't always access it. Because we practice with that kind of phrase sometimes to repeat it somewhere, you know, in some situation in the daily life. It reminds us or it opens access again to that 
quality and attitude. So instead of spending a good part of the day with inner or mental or without the verbal criticizing or complaining or judging or craving, we can remember the attitude of inner goodness, that place of inner goodness. May I, may you, may we be happy. In all this, we need the capacity of mindful, clear discernment so that we notice when we drift off into the so-called near enemy of kindness. It's feelings like longing, wishful thinking, sense desire, or a kind of service in return laugh. Oh, if only I were happy. If only such and such person were more happy, my son, my wife, whoever. That's understandable, that wish. But it's longing, it's not metta. If only this one person, John or Leslie, would be my partner. I love her so much. It's desire, wishful thinking. It's understandable, but not metta. If you could give me more attention, or more love, or more money, or more time, I would love you more. It's also understandable, but not metta. Sometimes it, this is very obvious, but it can be quite subtle. The true goodness of heart or true kindness doesn't ask for any conditions. And that's very demanding. And yet true goodness of heart or true kindness will never make us suffer for the exact same reason. Because it's not depending on, speci on specific prior requirements. If things don't turn out the way we want them, if the person doesn't behave or act the way we want them, if, if it was metta, it doesn't cause suffering. If it was attachment, it probably will. So it's this quality that makes it beautiful, as in the book title, a state of mind called Beautiful. Now let's look at the question, which mind states or which emotions or mental factors block this goodness, this kindness? The most obvious ones are aversion, anger and hatred. Those very strong forces in the mind and I've been talking about them at the beginning of the talk. Then indifference is widespread and quite paralyzing. Kindness needs a climate of true interest, otherwise it dies. Laziness, lethargy. Kindness depends on aliveness, on wakefulness. Otherwise, it will be lacking the necessary energy. Aversion, indifference, laziness. Then also the opposite of laziness, busyness, being very busy. It can threaten or destroy kindness. Kindness needs a little bit of pausing, needs space or else it will be run over. And that's 
an obviously important and also difficult point in our fast-moving lives. Quite devastating are feelings of inadequacy, wertlosigkeit, feelings of worthlessness for ourselves, often block us. When we lack care and appreciation for ourselves, it's difficult to open for others and find care and appreciation for them. Perhaps the strongest blocker of kindness is fear. It's the fear, sometimes simply the petty anxieties, which make our heart narrow. That's why Meher Baba said, true kindness is not for the faint-hearted. We need courage again and again. Courage to overcome our own cowardice, timidity and laziness. That's why kindness of heart is demanding. What exactly do we need courage for? Or more simply, how do we meet these feelings and emotions which block kindness within the ones I mentioned? And the answer may sound paradoxical, yet we must meet them with kindness, even though it's these things that block kindness. And how is this possible, since these emotions block the kindness? It's actually quite simple. We have to be willing to feel and see and study the difficult mind states with full attention and interest. I'm repeating myself here. Interest and caring, that in itself is the beginning of kindness. To look and feel as much as we can without prejudice, prejudice as much as we can without judgment, as much as we can without criticism. Then an inner spaciousness appears. Spaciousness in which they are allowed to be. Those difficult, unpleasant states. And if the accepting and tolerant inner attitude in which we meet the difficult mind states is genuine, then they will dissolve by themselves simply because the conditions that cause them fall away. But the care and the interest, they have to be genuine. If not, they'll notice, they'll know. So we can't cheat if we pretend to meet them with interest, but all we want is to get rid of them. It's not going to work. So it's interesting, it's subtle. And to do that takes courage. It's courage, interest, energy, respect, and care. And these are exactly the ingredients of kindness of heart. Easier said than done. And that's why we exercise and practice here. But after all, it's about the inner happiness and inner freedom. So it's really worthwhile. The Cambodian monk and peace activist I mentioned before, Mahagosananda, he thought that our practice should really work particularly when things get difficult. Difficult within, difficult outside, or anywhere. 
He asks us, if we cannot be happy in spite of our difficulties, then what good is our practice? We think we practice so it all goes away and becomes easy, but he thinks when it's really tough, we should also be happy. He doesn't just say when it's really tough, we should practice. But he says when it's really tough, we also should be happy. So, asking a good question. And he is the person who can kind ask this kind of question. He can make this kind of statement. In his early life of horror under the rule of the Khmer Rouge, with, I think, 27 of his relatives and most of his monk colleagues murdered. He was one of the most easygoing, one of the most happiest person I've met. Somehow, for him, it was possible. One other point I want to just look at. I find the following uh, quite interesting practical thing in terms of kindness. Sometimes kindness is actually a great feeling, especially together with some con uh, uh, concentration, a quiet surrounding. The heart is open, feels connected, and nobody's bothering us. The people around, you know, they leave us in peace. What if not? If not, are they included in my practice of kindness? The endlessly comp complaining neighbor, the unhappy, discontented partner, the woman in the bus loudly cursing, complaining, the gruff, unfriendly clerk at the counter, I quite often find this difficult. Sometimes simply because I forget the wrong habit there. Not even because I don't want or can't. My teacher Gesherapten, there, who often reminded us, he said, there you do all these bodhicitta practices, or you could say metta practices, like bodhicitta is becoming a Buddha for the welfare of all beings. But when one of these beings right next to you is slightly annoying, you forget so easily. He said things like that. And Kabir said, Are you looking for the Holy One? I am in the next seat, my shoulder against yours. And Mother Teresa of Calcutta tells about her work bringing sick and dying people in from the road so as to nurse and to heal them or let them die with some dignity. I never look at the masses as my responsibility, she said. I look at the individual. I can only love one person at a time. I can only feed one person at a time. I picked up one person Maybe if I didn't pick up that one person, I wouldn't have picked up 40,000. So it's all pretty obvious, but it's all, it also shows where the place of practice is. Never put anyone out of your heart. Even if someone has hurt us deeply or made us really angry, 
and we do put them out of our heart, but to never put them out of our heart in a final way. Maybe right now they're out, but to make sure we let them back in. When we abide in this goodness of heart, this state called beautiful, and encounter suffering in ourselves or with others, then this same attitude becomes compassion. When we abide in the same attitude or quality and encounter wholesomeness, happiness or success within us or with others, then it becomes sympathetic joy, appreciation. When we abide in this attitude of goodness, of kindness, and we encounter those who are in need of things, things we actually have, then it turns into generosity. The essence, though, of this goodness, of this kindness, I believe, is wise equanimity. Ultimately, it's wise equanimity, which enables us to deal skillfully with the opponent forces of aversion and anger and hatred and the near enemies of longing, desire and craving. And it's wise equanimity as well, which guards metta, which guards loving kindness against sentimentality. And it's yet wise equanimity which protects us from getting elated on one hand or disappointed on the other hand by the success, successes or the failures of our compassionate activities. So it's really wise equanimity which turns our good intentions into genuine kindness, into a state of heart and mind called beautiful. I'd like to close with Tartang Tulku on love and compassion and this quality. He writes, Goodness of heart is like sunlight awakening and bringing joy to beings. Its beauty is like a rainbow, lifting the hearts of all who see it. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.